0: Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Awesome. Well, it's such a privilege to be here. Uh, Thank you so much, Pastor David. Pastor David has been a long-term hero, mentor, friend to me. Known him for probably like the past eight years, and so I'm very grateful uh, to be here, and so is Sam and Elliot. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles today to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, and let's hear what the word of the Lord has for us. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep, and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to gather. Lord, I thank you that your presence is here. And Lord, I just pray that we would have soft heart, heart that's ready to receive your word. Uh, And Lord, would you you comfort, would you courage, would you, Lord, just uh, draw near to us today. We love you, Jesus, and we're excited for what you're about to say and do in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So my son Elliot was born February 1st of this year, so just about three months ago. And uh, when he was born, nothing about the day went as we expected. And so he came a couple of days late, and so Sam went to her OBGYN, and uh, the doctor couldn't feel him moving. And so we're told to go to the hospital, which is a little nerve-wracking as new parents. And so we get to the hospital, and it turns out that Sam has lost a lot of uh, fluid and that like, Elliot needed to come out that day. And so fast forward 10 long labor hours uh, later, and Elliot's heartbeat ends up dropping low, dangerously low, and the doctor's like, okay, we got to do a last minute C-section. And I just remember everything happening so fast, so fast, and like I'm trying to be strong for my wife, but internally, I'm afraid, because I had absolutely no control. And in that moment, there were so many what ifs that tried to start just flooding my heart. Uh, and I'm like, God, just help them to be okay. Like, help them to be okay. And I'm so grateful that the healthy, strong, uh, they're here today. Um, yeah, I'm, thank you, Lord. But I remember how in that moment, what I felt more than anything else was fear. And fear is something that we all experience. And some fear is actually meant to be really healthy. And so uh, some of us may be afraid of things regarding our children, like them hitting puberty for the first time or them getting a license. Other people may be afraid of things like heights or snakes or being caught in the woods with a grizzly bear. Like there's so many things in life that turn on the warning lights inside of us because there's there's a potential threat and that leads to some fear. And that can be a a really helpful thing because fear is actually meant to uh, protect our lives. Lives, but in other ways, fear can also cripple us. Fear can lead to uh, indecisiveness. It can lead us to catastrophizing the worst possible outcomes. Fear can lead to overwhelming feelings of angst, uh, anxiousness. And so maybe you wish you had no more fears. Maybe that the picture of a, a mature Christian life for your life is just like no more fears. You just picture Bear grills, the guy who drank his own urine to survive, fearless. You're like, I want to be that guy. Or maybe you believe that a mature faith trusts that God will deal with our fears. And so if you can conjure up enough faith, if you can just have like the most uh, elaborate type of prayer, God will actually take away all of the things that you fear the most. But here's what I want you to know today, that comfort from our fears is a false promise, but comfort in our fears is the real offer. And this is a truth that David discovered. The context of Psalm 3 is David, he's running from his son Absalom, get that. And so his son is like trying to overtake the throne. He's after his life and his son has turned the entire nation against uh, David. And so David's going to teach us a couple of things about fear. He's going to teach us what fear is, how to respond to it, and how to find hope in the middle of it. And so what is fear? We see that in our text. David is in a real battle. Like he is in a battle for his life, and again, to make it worse, like this is his own flesh and blood that is trying to take his life. And, and I can't imagine what David is feeling as a parent. Uh, probably betrayal, hurt, feelings of bewilderment, confusion, but he's also feeling fear. He's afraid. And this is the same David who's a man after God's own heart. This is the same David who, who went toe-to-toe with Goliath. This is the same David known for his leadership and charisma, but he's afraid. What is fear? Fear is an emotion triggered by the threat of harm, and that can be either real or imagined. And so what are you afraid of? Is it concerning the health of someone you care about? Is it concerning the state of our world? Is it concerning uh, something to do with your kids? Is it just not knowing the future? In life, there are so many things to fear. And the common perception most people have as it pertains to fear is either to deny them or to live a life dominated by them. And when we look at David's life, he's actually not doing either of those things. Like he's not denying his fear, but he's not bowing down to it. Instead, he's praying it. He's going to God. He's lying everything out there in real, honest emotion. And for David, there is a real pre- Present danger, right? Like, many foes are trying to get his life. Many foes are closing in. I don't know if you've ever had an army trying to attack you, but fear seems to be an appropriate response. David is being backed into a corner. He's being squeezed. He has no more options, and these just aren't some foreign invader. Like, these are the Jewish people. Like, the people that he loves, that he grew up with, have completely turned against him, and they want to kill him. Uh, But there's another part to David's distress, Because it's not just that his enemies and his son are now trying to kill him. It's also in what they're saying. Because they're saying things like God's not going to deliver him. And God has abandoned him. And I think this is where it stings the most. Because, yeah, David's feeling fear. But there's something closely related that he starts to experience. And that's called anxiety. And so in the 20th century, uh, there was an American psychologist named Rollo May, pretty cool name, and he popularized research on anxiety. And Rollo defined anxiety as this, anxiety is the apprehension chewed off by a threat to some value which the individual holds essential to his existence as a personality. And what differentiates anxiety from fear is that fear is a reaction to a specific danger, which the individual can make a specific adjustment. Okay, But what characterizes anxiety is the feeling of dread and helplessness and uncertainty toward the specific threat. If fear is kind of like a quick lightning strike that like, okay, flight or flight. Uh, Anxiety, Rolo described, is more like sitting under a rain cloud with no end in sight, and it feels like a death because something that we value or something we hold dear is at stake. And so anxiety is similar to fear in that it can be super helpful in getting our attention or alerting us to dangerous situation. but anxiety can also lead to dread because the very things we hold most dear, the things most essential to who we are, are at stake. And, and I think this is a helpful category for what David's getting at. Because on one level, there's the fear of the surrounding army. But on another level, uh, David is feeling anxious because what's being threatened is David's very own identity. Like, if uh, uh, he's no longer king, if God truly has abandoned him, then who is he? Like, what does he have left? Like, David is well aware of his past. He's well aware of how he took Bathsheba. He took another man's wife and then had her husband killed. And so maybe his enemies are right. Like, maybe God has abandoned him. Maybe David has just been left alone. I think what's worse than the threat of armies trying to surround David's life are the lies trying to surround his heart. And so have you ever been here before? Maybe some of the reasons y'all's fears are so intense is because the narrative beneath the fear. And so maybe it's not just, uh, I fear losing the relationship, but maybe it's, I fear I'm going to be worthless. Maybe it's not just that I fear not landing the right career, but I fear I'll be mediocre in life. Maybe it's not just that I I fear uh, how this diagnosis turns out, but maybe my greatest fear is that God's going to abandon us, me and my family. There's power in being able to name our fears because when we can name them, we can work to replace them. And that brings us to our second point. How do we respond to fear? I remember when I was a kid, I had a nightlight, and that nightlight was cool some of the times, but that nightlight also created some some spooky shadows in my room that looked like monsters trying to get me. And so I remember there were moments where I'm like, bro, like, Justin, do do you you see what I'm seeing? He's like, go to sleep. And uh, I'm like, this is insane. And so my dad would come in, and he would comfort me, and he'd say, Jordan, monsters are not real. Like, it is just a a shadow of you know Buzz Lightyear or something. And so I, I remember saying, like, you're not real. You're not real. You're not real. And in time, like that worked for the shadows in my bedroom. But if we're honest, uh, fears are like fears are a real thing. In life, there seems to be so much to be afraid of. There always seems to be new challenges that we're facing. And so, what do we do in the face of all of these things? I think we have to get into the habit of talking to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. And so I think we have to declare truth to our hearts so often so that we don't just live a life dominated by our emotions. And this is exactly what David did. In verse 3, David camps out on three metaphors to combat the fear he was experiencing, and we're invited to do the same. He first says, Lord, you're a shield around me. And, and what does a shield do? A shield protects against oncoming objects. But get this people who put on a shield, like getting ready for the day, actually expect that bad things are going to come their way. Like no one goes to, uh, no one pits on a shield casually, just going to Wegmans and then on the way home. Like you put on a shield because you expect that you're kind of going into a battle. You expect that you're going to face some opposition. And uh, that's exactly what happens to David. But he's saying, in the midst of everything that's happening, Yahweh is going to protect the most vital part of Who I am because he's a shield all around me. And how does God shield his people? Well, we see in David's case, literally his life is going to be protected. And so David's declaring in faith, even though these armies are surrounding me, God is going to preserve my life. He even uses some intense language as he's praying through this. Notice verse seven, he says, God, would you strike the enemies on the jaw and break the teeth of the wicked? That's intense. And so when David says strike their jaw, uh, this was considered a form of public disgrace. And so like someone having the, the jaw uh, strike striked, and having like the the, uh, the cheek slapped, like this is saying, God, would you humiliate my enemies? Would you shame them? Would you disgrace them? Uh, and then when he says, uh, God, break their teeth, this is an expression that refers to God disarming David's enemies. If you picture a lion, a lion is dangerous because it has long, sharp teeth. But if those teeth are broken, then a lion is powerless. And so David's saying, God, would you disarm the threat and would you rescue me? Pretty cool. But God doesn't just preserve our lives physically. He also preserves our hearts in our minds as well. And I think there's a truth that battles are won and lost in our minds. In her book, The Choice, Holocaust Survivor Dr. Edith Edgar talks about her childhood and the moments leading up to the Nazis coming to take her and her family away to Auschwitz. And just before being separated from her parents, her mother told her this. She said, just remember, no one can take away from you what you've put into your mind. And so on cold, hungry, and tortured nights, uh, Edith remembered those words spoken to her by her mother, and she found that if she filled her mind with thoughts of who she loved, uh, uh, what she valued, what brought her the most joy, then no one, not even the Nazis, could truly harm her. And so regardless of the worst physical circumstances, I believe that our minds have the ability to transport us to a better place. And one of the primary ways that God shields our hearts and our minds is with gospel-saturated truth. Things like your value is not determined by your performance. Things like sin may be something you do, but sin no longer defines you. Things like you're a son or a daughter of the king. You are holy. You are chosen. You are righteous. You are deeply loved. You are forgiven. Like, we have to rehearse these truths to ourselves constantly, which is why abiding with Jesus is so important because every day lives will try to penetrate the most vital part of who we are. Followers of Jesus are not immune from fear. We know this. Uh, Anything that can happen to anyone can happen to a follower of Jesus. And so there seems to be much to be afraid, but I want the courage to be able to stand in the middle of a difficult situation and declare to my heart that, God, you are my shield. So David saw God at his shield, but then David says God is his glory. And the Hebrew term for glory here is kavod, and it means an individual's significance or status. If you spend any time reading the Bible, uh, that word glory is usually a term to describe God. And so uh, God has ultimate glory, ultimate status, ultimate significance. And so when we, even as the body of Christ, come and we're glorifying God, it's a way of us standing in unity, saying, God, you have ultimate significance, like you are the king of king lord of the lords but the term can also be used to describe humans as well because again glory is all about our status and so we actually look to a lot of different things to give us glory don't we we look to things like relationships or wealth or possessions Uh, but here's the thing when we attach our glory or attach our status to all of these things we'll do whatever it takes to maintain them or we'll be crushed if we lose them So example, if my glory, my worth comes from me being in power, then I'll do whatever it takes to make my way to the top. I'll I'll cut corners. I'll be the bad guy. I'll gain influence through compromising ways. So much will come out of it. And I think David experienced something of the sort because when he first became king, he started off great. Like everything was going great. He found his glory in God alone and being a son of God and being an image bearer. But over time, I think David started to find his glory in power found his glory in position and this led him to Bathsheba and out of misplaced glory David's life was now beginning to crumble his status as king his wealth his influence his power everything that he started to build an identity on was being taken from him and I think after all of that David comes back to a place where he's reminded that it's God who gives him glory nothing else and so it took losing all of the stuff that David actually thought was most important to give him the wake-up call he needed. Where do you look to for glory? What is the thing that you tell yourself like you cannot live without or that you spend your entire life trying to protect? The last metaphor David uses is the one who lifts my head. And in our language, we say, like, lift your head up, like, be a good sport. And that that expression simply is one of confidence, where if your head is down, it's a sign of defeat and discouragement. And David's simply saying, my confidence comes from God, not in a life that I can manufacture on my own. But David's enthusiasm is not over because he goes on and he says, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. And, and David says this almost as a matter of a fact. Like when he prays, he knows God listens and God responds. And this is good news for us as well because when we pray, God does listen. And when we pray, God does respond. And it's not based off of our personal goodness. It's based off of his. So do you know why we can call out to the Lord in confidence because Jesus granted us access. In life, there's a difference between visibility and access. I'm assuming most people in here have uh, social media or Instagram. And those platforms are fascinating because uh, it gives off the persona that, like, if your favorite celebrity crush has visibility, we think we know them. And so it's like, oh, man, like, whoever your favorite celebrity crush is, like, we get to see what they're eating for Thanksgiving. We, we get to mourn their latest breakup. We're like, we're with you. We, we, we get uh, excited to read the thoughts on, on important Issues, but if I were to take said person aside and be like, hey, do you know this person? They'd a thousand percent say, never heard of them before. So that, that's just visibility. But access would be like: I get a message from Denzel Washington, the man himself, and he's like, Hey, come over to my house, let's be friends. Like, you can eat the food in my refrigerator, here's my number, you can call me any day of the week, 24/7. That's not just visibility, that's access. And the amazing thing about God is that we follow a God who gives us access. Amen. So we don't just follow a God who will never respond to our messages, we follow a God who promises to give you himself in every season of life, 24 hours a day, regardless of where you're at. And and David's enemies tried to get him to believe that this wasn't true anymore. David's enemies were trying to get him to believe that God has abandoned him and that David's access has been cut off. But David was like, no, it's not true. He knew better because God always keeps his word. And he knew that when he yelled out for help, God was going to answer. So don't believe the lie that God has abandoned you because you have been given. In access. And this brings us to our last point, which is our hope and fear. And I want to invite the worship team to come back up. I want to read these last few verses again, because in the middle of a very bad situation, David says this, starting in verse 5. He says, I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. I first find it very impressive that David has the ability to take a nap in the middle of everything that's going around him. But I think there's something to that. Because when we sleep, we're vulnerable. We're not in control. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about. You're like, man, I'm most vulnerable when I'm asleep. Uh, and so we all know how lack of sleep can be due to to anxiousness or being worried or just like being really concerned about something and I remember when we brought Elliot home from the hospital like those first couple of nights we didn't sleep well mainly because he's a newborn and you know they don't sleep well but there's also this fear factor that like when I go to sleep I'm I can't watch him and so it's like it's a little nerve-wracking like man like lord help him to be okay for these next couple of hours And David says, in the midst of enemies pursuing me, in the midst of fear, I don't have to be in control because I'm not God. Like, I I can release outcomes, I'm going to sleep. And so, just as the Lord sustained David's life, the Lord promises to sustain our lives as well. David goes on to say, I'm not gonna fear, although tens of thousands are trying to take my life, I won't be afraid. And so in the face of unimaginable odds, David was actually holding on to something stronger than the threat of his enemies. And I think David was rooting himself in the loving nature and character of God. Like this isn't just blind faith. This isn't just a blind optimism. This is a faith in the God who has proved himself time and time again. And this is what we need to remember, that God's past faithfulness will give our hearts present hope. Like, we have to remember what God has done to root ourselves daily in whatever we're going through, that God is still good, that he's still faithful. And so, what, what about us? Like, David was rescued from Absalom, but you're like, what does that mean for me today? Because on one hand, maybe you're like, yeah, like I'm, I can try to imitate God's, uh, David's faith, and I'm going to believe that God's going to deliver David, like, or uh, deliver me like he delivered David. I mean, David literally called out for God to protect him, save his life, and that's what happened. The problem, though, is many times we call out to God to save us, to deliver us, and he doesn't always come through in the way that we'd hoped for God doesn't always deliver us like he delivered David. Sometimes we lie down to sleep and we don't wake up. And so where is the hope in this passage? Because we know how we have prayed for someone to get healed, but the sickness continues to ravage their body. Uh, We know how maybe a wife has prayed for the marriage to work out, but her husband still leaves you know how you have prayed for this perfect job to to work out. It's going to be the one that helps you stay in your home or, or whatever the case may be, only to get passed up by someone else. Often the enemy seems to win. But here's the thing. Although God may not always rescue us from physical danger, and although circumstances may seem to crush you, They can't actually crush you in the ultimate sense. Uh, They can't steal away the the part of you that is most vital. Scott Sauls, a pastor uh, in Nashville, wrote a cool book called Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Get that. And in it, he answers the question, what if the worst case scenario does happen? If it does, it will be sad for a time being. But long term, in a hundred and a thousand and a million years from now, the worst case scenario for a believer will not include death, mourning, crying, or pain. The long term worst case scenario is that All sad and hurtful things will come untrue. Just as certain as Christ's empty tomb is this, we too will rise from death's dark into a world where every day will be better than the one before, a world without end. Amen. And so all sad things really will come untrue. And this is where our hope comes from. God doesn't promise an easy life where bad things will never happen because, again, our comfort from our fears isn't the real promise. Uh, comfort in our fears is the real offer. And so facing fear is about seeing that God is with you and that he's for you and that he hasn't abandoned you. And the opposite of fear is actually courage. It's not just like a, a, a blind peace, Like, courage is the ability to stand in the middle of hard things. It's the ability to have your feet planted on the character of God and say, Lord, regardless of what's happening, like, I'm fixing my eyes on you. I'm not going to let go. I'm going to keep moving forward in the middle of a difficult circumstance. Courage doesn't waver from hard things, but it moves forward in the midst of them. We will be afraid again. Every person on the planet at some level deals with anxiety. And so the question is, how will we respond to those moments? And so we don't deny our fears, but we also don't bow to it. Instead, I think we do the courageous act of naming them. Laying it out before God, we replace them, but we also live with the end in view. Even if all of our worst fears actually did happen, the good news is that our lives are not defined by the worst thing that could ever happen to us. Our lives are defined by the worst thing that ever happened to Jesus. And because Jesus died and because he rose again, there is hope that is bigger than your fear. I don't know where you're at today, or I don't know the fear that you're experiencing. And so maybe the fear you're experiencing is due to misplaced glory because you have uh, uh, centered your life around something other than God, and that could be job, reputation, anything, and and your greatest fear is losing that thing that is most vital to you. Or maybe you're in the middle of losing that thing that is most vital to you, and it feels crushing because your entire life has been built around it. Or maybe there's another type of fear that's just a normal response to a broken world. And you're in the middle of it and you just need courage to stand. You just need courage to not give up. You just need courage to keep believing in the goodness of God when everything in you wants to scream and believe that God has abandoned you and the worst possible thing is going to happen. So maybe you're here and you're just like, I just need to invite the presence of God. I I just need courage in the middle of my fear. I want to invite you all to stand today. You know, I'm, I'm curious, what, what is God saying to you today? In the middle of your current fears, what, what truth does your heart need to embrace? Maybe, maybe your heart needs to embrace that, God, you are my shield. Lord, you're my shield, and I'm going through it. I'm being attacked, but Lord, I, I believe that you're gonna protect me, that you're gonna preserve me. You're gonna guard my life. You're gonna guard my mind. You're gonna guard my heart. Maybe you need to remember that God is your glory. That God gives you status. God gives you worth. God gives you significance. Even if everything else crumbles, like your value is determined by Jesus, not the things that we hold on to. Maybe you need to hold on to the truth that, God, you're the source of my confidence. Or that, God, you haven't abandoned me. Or that there's hope that's bigger than my fear. Wherever you're at, I encourage you, take Psalm 3 with you. Declare it to your heart. Just like David declared in the middle of a hard circumstance. And uh, let the Lord be with you. So Jesus, thank you that you are awesome. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't abandoned us. Thank you, Lord, that there's hope bigger than our fear. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a God that knows every single one of us personally and intimately, Jesus. And we don't have to fear that the worst has happened because the cross says something different. Lord, you, you won't abandon us because, Lord, uh, you took everything, the shame, the, the, the worst thing, separation, Jesus, and you took that to the grave. And your resurrection tells us that there is joy in the morning. And so, Lord, we just hold on to your character today. We hold on to your goodness. But I do ask, God, that you would comfort and you would encourage. And would you just minister to our hearts this morning, Lord, uh, in whatever way, God, that, that means for us individually. So we love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.